0: Today, I wanted to talk about an interesting book I recently read called Fire in My Eyes An American Warrior's Journey from Being Blinded on the Battlefield to Gold Medal Victory by Brad Snyder and Tom Cilio. So, it's an interesting story overall of Brad's journey from going to the Naval Academy and then becoming an EOD tech in the U.S. Navy attached to a SEAL unit, and his primary responsibilities were to go out with different units and diffuse, identify, blow up uh, IEDs left behind by insurgents. In the process of one of the missions that he goes on, he actually experiences an IED firsthand and it essentially blows up right in front of him. And the end result is that he loses his vision. So this was kind of a strange book in that the story moves along fairly quickly. The book isn't that thick. Uh I suppose he's not that old either. He's in his, I believe, early thirties. So perhaps there's not that much of his life to document. But I found the I would say the first ninety percent of the book somewhat unsatisfying because the story moves along Fairly rapidly with lot with not a lot of reflection it it feels like it's trying and I do think that he's genuine but the transitions between different things are f- are fairly quick like getting into the naval academy was somewhat of a challenge but then he's in and then he's in the naval academy and his grades aren't doing so hot and he's on restriction or probation or whatever they call it where he has extra guard duty and basically he's in trouble for a while but then he overcomes that and then later on in the book he's just received a promotion or I can't remember exactly what it was and that night he has too much to drink and ends up getting into a car accident and is arrested for DUI like days before, days or a few weeks before he's supposed to deploy to Afghanistan or Iraq. <laughs> I have all my notes here, but I've already had to return the book to the library, so uh, forgive me if I'm getting just a few of these minor details incorrect. So in the process of describing these different events, there, they're just it just felt like there was something missing to me. He, He definitely expresses remorse for the DUI and all the complications it causes him, as well as, you know, the impact to the people that the and that were in the other car that he hit. Nobody was fatally injured, and so he's very thankful for that. Uh but there I don't know, that there was just there was just something missing. I can't quite put my finger on it throughout the book, except when I got to the end. And this completely blew me away. So I've kept a list of books that I've read since high school, since my, I think I started it just on a whim, my senior year of high school, I've written down every book that I've read. The criteria is I have to actually finish the book. So I've written down every book that I've read since then. And I write down the author, the name of the book, a short summary, maybe It could be as short as a sentence or two or sometimes five or six. Sometimes I'll capture quotes, but I'll do that elsewhere. I'll write down the number of pages, when the book was written, the copyright date, and maybe the publisher. Sometimes that's just kind of the the motivator that I need to push through a book that is not completely grabbing me. Although I have (laughs) of late embraced the philosophy that if a book is just not doing for you, you should just abandon it. There's no need to slog through to the end. For some reason, I finished this book, and I'm extremely glad that I did. And here's why. I feel like in the very, very last pages of the book, he becomes... I don't know. Maybe it's the authenticity or the the genuineness. I feel like a real person comes through the pages in a way that he didn't for me earlier in the story. And so... He's talking about how he's in the hospital. There there's some chance that they think that he might still be able to see from one of his eyes that there might be some type of recovery as possible. This is between pages one fifty seven and one fifty eight. He's just kind of reflecting on all this. Quote I thought of how I got here. It was me who signed on that dotted line and put myself in harm's way on purpose. I was aware of the risks when I joined the Navy. I was further reminded of those risks when Tyler had been killed in Iraq. Tyler was a classmate from the US Naval Academy, um, and just a star star performer that was killed killed in the line of duty. Back to the book. I had taken responsibility for my fit future and decided no matter what level of sacrifice my service was worth it. Why should that change now? How could I be a victim in this situation? There was no one to blame but myself. I thought back to that moment on the battlefield where I saw my grandfather and thought that I was dead. I wasn't. I was very much alive and surrounded by people who loved me unconditionally. So what if I couldn't see them? It didn't mean that they weren't there. Now he talks about ownership, which if you listen to episode 15, you know, was a favorite topic of mine. And he goes on and he says, quote, I thought of Tyler and how he didn't come back alive from the war while I did. Right then, I decided to take responsibility for my future. I decided to appreciate the encouragement that my family had been showing me all along and to learn to live with what I had instead of dwelling over what I no longer had. Blindness would be a daunting challenge. I had to face tough challenges before, though, and I found some measure of success. This would be no different. Being blind wouldn't define or confine me. Armed with the love of my family, I would continue to grow, develop learn, and pursue happiness with the same vigor as before I was injured. The only difference was that this time I would have to try to conquer a world I couldn't see. I think this is admirable. I I can't fathom what it would be like to not have any of my senses, particularly after having them my entire life. Um, the closest I can get to thinking about this is, is hearing. So as I get more and more into audio production and my podcast production business, and the more I learn about audio and editing and all that, the, the more it's like, well, gosh, what if someday I couldn't hear or I lost my hearing, I couldn't hear as well. That would be an adjustment. So then this part of the book goes on, and the doctor comes in and essentially says he's sorry that it turns out that They thought a part of the eye was still going to be there and functioning. It's absolutely not. And so there's essentially no chance that he'll ever see again. The part that really, so that's where I, I don't know. That's where I felt like it started to get real. And then he really kicks in with some good stuff. I was really, really good stuff, some profound stuff that has really shaped and refined some of my thinking. And this is on page 222. It wasn't the task of washing the dishes that I initially found so frustrating. It was the difference between how it used to be and how it is now. I began to call this difference, which for so long served as the root cause of my frustration, the delta. The more I focused on the delta between how life used to be and how it is now, the more I got frustrated. And it goes on, it continues, uh, skipping ahead a little bit. This mismatch in expectations is exactly what I mean by the delta. It's always a difference between where you are, who you are, what your situation is, and where you wish you were, who you want to be, or what your situation, or what situation you'd rather find yourself in. I think this is a good question to ponder. How much time do you spend getting hung up or wasting, focusing on why things aren't the way you wish that they were, whether that's now versus before or now versus the future, I think it can be a useful exercise though I think that we can sometimes this delta is very informing in terms of helping us to know something that we want to move towards or that we do want to like in other words, where we're at is not good enough, but I think that the the context and focus of his discussion here. It's getting dragged down by focusing on wishing that things were different than they are. Then he shifts on to another idea that I think is really valuable. Page 223. In combat, we used a tactic called threat assessment, which takes into account all the different variables in your current situation. I then identified each, quote, threat, and subsequently ranked each of those from highest to lowest. You then address each threat individually, one after another. So then he talks about having an IED in front of him and being confronted by a Taliban fighter shooting at him. So the, the, the idea is that if, if he focuses on trying to solve both at once, he's going to lose. So even though the stakes are really high here, he has to focus on dealing with the IED first, so he doesn't blow himself up, and then engaging the Taliban fighter. fighter. Because again, it would do no good to focus on both at the same time. And then he goes on. I came to believe that threat assessment is immediately relevant to everyday life. Sure, the stakes are much different, but in any given situation, there are hundreds of variables at play. If you take a moment to work through these variables, you can easily sort them into two distinct categories. Things you can control or influence, and the things you can't. I think that's profound. I think we spend way too much time focusing on threats in kind of the threat assessment that we're just probably constantly running in our heads, maybe unconsciously, but this idea on things that we can't control. And I think it's fascinating in a given day, try this and then try this maybe tomorrow or today, which would be to say when you're in a situation where you're getting really frustrated, walk this threat assessment. Make it, get out a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle and just say, okay, given this situation, here's a list of all the things I can control. Here's all the things I can't control. And then on that side of the paper where you've listed all the things you can't control, just draw a big X through them because you can't control them anyways. You might as well not even worry about them. And then for the things that you can control, put those into a prioritized list of the things that. Makes sense to tackle first, so in extreme ownership, the book that I talk about in episode fifteen, they also share a similar idea. I don't think it's as clear, but it, it's to me it was equally as profound, particularly when you're in a situation that's clearly as life and death as you know being in a battle when you're shooting at people and having them shoot right back at you. this is um' uh, on page one sixty one of Extreme Ownership. The title of the chapter is Prioritize and Execute. On the battlefield, countless problems compound in a snowball effect, every challenge complex in its own right, each demanding attention. But a leader must remain calm and make the best decisions possible. To do this, SEAL combat leaders utilize Prioritize and Execute. We verbalize this principle with this direction. Relax, look around, make a call. I like this idea of of relax. I mean, I don't. Their t- their training is intense, and I'm just amazed at what they can do, what they accomplish, and the amount of stress and the sharpness of their mental abilities. So I, I just think it's fascinating that the first <laughs> the first part of the directive here is to relax. But it's true when you are really spun up on something, you can't make a clear decision. So I just like I don't know. That just struck me. Relax. Look around make a call. Of course, they're doing this in split seconds. And I suppose we have the luxury of, of having a lot more time to make these decisions and, and do kind of this threat assessment that uh, Brad Snyder is suggesting in this book that I'm working through today called fire in my eyes. Then Brad Snyder goes a little farther on page 224 and talks, talks a little bit more about these variables that you can't control. Quote, By learning to accept each situation for it is, dismissing the variables you can't control, and leveraging your full focus to each of the variables you can influence, you have optimized your role in that particular moment. Over time, if you can establish a habit involving those tactics, you can optimize your effect on your own fate and destiny. You cannot control who you used to be. I I thought this part was particularly profound. Again, he says, you cannot control who you used to be. History is just that, history. Of course, history is a wonderful resource, as it may inform us about what to expect in the future, but history doesn't always drive the current moment. The same is true for the future. We cannot control it, and try as we might to predict it, we're almost always wrong. That being said, I now believe that comparing your current situation to another in the past, or dismissing your current situation by dreaming of a different set of circumstances sometime in the distant future is effectively a fruitless, wasted endeavor. Instead, I believe the most prudent thing we can do is accept every situation and every set of circumstances for what they are. In doing so, you can then evaluate every variable in your set of circumstances individually, dismissing the variables you can't control, deciding to vector your complete focus to the variables that you can influence. I believe that by doing this, you can tackle nearly any situation while effectively managing its associated stresses. But then he goes on to on 226 to kind of round out this idea that really we're all constantly in the process of evolving and changing. Quote, each of us is a dynamic entity, a function of our life's experiences. We are an aggregate of everything we have seen, heard, tasted, and felt. Each new moment presents a wealth of opportunity to learn and grow in each moment. We are a different form than we were in a previous moment. I transformed. I had to accept a new set of circumstances and resolve to thrive anyway. That is what resilience means to me. It is the resolution to thrive no matter what. Don't give up the ship. Living in the shadow of your former self is potentially as damaging as living in the shadow of who you want to be. So many of us get wrapped up in where we're going. We forget both where and who we are. I those are some good things to take stock of and remember. Overall, I thought this was a good book. Again, the first parts of it, I thought, had the potential to be great if there had been uh, more depth and some, I don't know how, how it would have been done, but some greater level of, I don't know if it's authenticity or vulnerability or what, but just the last part of the book just really came through loud and clear for me. There, there were some interesting parts of it too, though. He talks about when he's learning to swim, he explains the whole process of Swimming blind, and I guess, you know, as you're swimming in the pool, you can feel the lane, whatever those lane things are. So you bump into those, but then when it comes time to turning, there's a person that stands at each end of the pool with a pole and taps him on the back at the right time, and that's the cue to him that it's time to do his the the reverse flip thing that they do and then turn around and head the other direction. I would encourage you to, to consider some of these ideas in the coming days and week. You know, what, what's ahead of you when you're in a situation that's really frustrating? What parts of that situation can you control? Which ones can't you? And then prioritizing the ones that you can. And then just this whole idea of living in the present. That's something that I definitely want to get better at. And, uh, and can see a lot of benefits around doing so. Thanks for listening to The John Polster Show. Notes, links, and all that other good stuff for this episode are at johnpolster.com slash podcast. If you have questions or ideas around the podcast, send those to podcast at johnpolster.com.